I know what you're thinking, you know, uh, especially the students that are uh, here for the first time this morning are back um, from a great, fulfilling, life-changing summer, I'm sure. That uh, why are we starting a series today on pride? Like, why couldn't we start something, you know, more like life applicable? Like not how to overdraw your bank account. Or, you know, like how to find the guy that's going to change your life forever. Actually, he's easy to find. Finding the guy that believes he can't change your life forever, that's the one that's hard to find. Well, uh, I hope that this series will prove profitable for all of us. But it's kind of funny, isn't it? We've come to church this morning to kill your pride. Hey, let's go kill something at church. Well, let's dive in because, see, we're still in our series on Acts, but this short series on Pride is going to wrap up our series on Acts, and then this fall we're going to kind of tear apart the book of Colossians and go on a journey of understanding what Paul had to teach us in that. So let's go to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to uh, start reading in verse 6. So if you have one of these Bibles, this is the House Bible, then uh, that's going to be on page... Uh, seven, good, thank you, 769, she's quicker than me, 769, and what's happening uh, before we get to verse 6, to bring some of you up to speed, we've been studying this summer the launching of the church movement, Uh, the Holy Spirit came after Christ rose again and revealed himself to the disciples, and then they spoke in tongues, and this mass revival happened, And I was speaking in tongues there. If you didn't understand me, then you must not be a believer. There's a group in the back that will meet with you after the service. (laughs) Terrifying. All right, Paul, let me tell you what's happening. Paul has been on a missionary journey with Barnabas. And then uh, last week we talked about how him and Barnabas got into a holy fight and they fought fair, but they parted ways. And um, so he goes to this place called the Blue Dot and uh, great jazz music there. No, seriously, he's in Lystra and he runs into uh, his uh, young disciple, Timothy, and takes him under his wing and says, come on, you're going to travel with me and Silas and Luke. And so they begin to journey uh, into, well, Phrygia. And let's read starting in verse six. Paul and his companions, who I just told you who they were, traveled throughout the region of Phygera and Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now let me stop there, because they, they traveled up to Phrygia here, which is in Asia, okay? But they go up here to preach the word, but why didn't they preach the word? Group participation. Why don't they preach the word? Yeah, the Holy Spirit said, shut your mouth. He wouldn't let them do it. Why? We don't know. Let's go on. They, the Holy Spirit, uh, from preaching the word in the province of Asia, and when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they traveled another 300 miles to Messiah, and we're going to go north into Bithany. So they're standing at the border because they couldn't preach over here in Asia. So they're standing here at the border of Messiah, and they're going to go up to Bithany, and the Holy Spirit stops them. Why did the Holy Spirit stop them? Well, we don't know. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Tros. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who called them in the dream to go over to Macedonia? It was God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they had to get on a ship. All right, there you go. And they sailed over and went to the leading city in the province of Macedonia, which was Philippi, which we're going to talk about next week. So you see how this text here is obviously about pride. So I don't know if I need to say any more, but just to conclude our time together. This series that we're in, it's I called it, and I want you to really appreciate this, okay? Because I know really cool pastors come up with cool titles for their sermons, and I've never done that. But today's going to change all that. The series is the Pride Fall series. Get it? Instead of Pride Full, it's Pride Fall. F A L L, not because it's the fall, but because we're going to drop our pride. That stinks, doesn't it? Could somebody please come up with a better name for this series? All right? Email me. I would love to hear it. But let's talk a little bit about pride because we talked this summer. Students, if you didn't hear this on our podcast, we've been talking about how Jesus came to curse the normal. How so many of us are living these normal lives and Jesus came to curse that and actually bring us into the abnormal or into the supernatural. And I want to tell you now that pride is about as normal as breathing. My pride or living in pride is such a natural reaction for me. It's almost my knee-jerk reaction to almost every situation. And what I mean by pride is I move me to the center of every situation. It's all about me. It's all about how it's going to affect me. It's all about what's going on with me. And my pride celebrates me. You know, it's funny because we talked last week about fighting. And Renee and I talk about this a lot because we never fight. Those laughing are the people that know us, all right? And, you know, it's funny when I fight, here's what's on the tip of everything I want to say. Almost every sentence in my fight with Renee starts with you. You. Because you is that beautiful word. It's like the jujitsu of fighting, you know? Where you just gently flip the fight over, well enough about me. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your imperfections or what you did or what you said or what you said you were going to do or what you didn't do. You, 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 you. My pride has the capacity to elevate myself to such a level in an argument with my wife or even with you that you just flows like a river. You know, because in my heart of hearts, what do I want to do when I get in a conflict with somebody? I want to be like, have you seen the movie Troy? Yes, okay, this is a movie illustration, all right? I haven't used one of those in a long time. And the Brad Pitt character that comes out, and when he fights, he, the big guy at the beginning of the movie is going to fight him, and he's just this giant with scars all over him, and he just 
Brad runs out of bed, doesn't even drink his coffee, and, and the guy's down on the ground. That My pride says that's how ninja-like I want to be in my conflicts with people. You know, it goes deeper because my pride has so elevated me to the level of importance. I was at O'Reilly Auto Parks the other day. And have you ever been in there? I don't like that place. And let me tell you why. It's not that they don't have good parts, all right? Parts are parts. But they don't have clear lines. So when we're all just kind of standing there and everybody's covered in grease and they're getting parts for their cars, they ask this question. Who's next? No. Because, you know, I want you to know who's next. Because if who next, then it's all this false humility. Oh, man, you go. No, you go. I think you were here first, you know. And if you go, no, 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 you really go. And you know that you were here before them. And they go, thanks, man, I'll do it. You're inside. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. I'll let him go. But in reality, that's not fair. And my pride of self-importance demands fairness when it comes to me. When it comes to you, I'm not as committed to it. I mean, seriously, isn't it? All right? Another great thing about my self-sufficiency, and I don't know about you, but I've got this running tape in my head that says, I can do it. I don't need your help. I can get it done. And when I do it, I want you to acknowledge that I did it. And I got it done. Or, let me tell you, it's the same tape. It's just run backwards because we know the devil's in the, when you run it backwards, you know, is I can't do anything. It's the same pride. I can't do anything. I need everybody to help me. Look at me. I'm just beautiful. Please help me. You know, it's the same coin. It's just a different side. In other words, it's about me. My natural response is self-protection, self-justification, blaming, fighting to win. Christ came to curse the normal. Because Christ said, okay, you can live that way if you want to, but there's something better. Our pride is when we are haughty. I read one author this week. He says, pride is when we are fat on ourselves." We have gorged ourselves on ourselves, and we've become fat with me. Self-splendor, self-majesty, self-glory, self-arrogance, boasting, being brutal, conceited, insolent. You know, in the Old Testament, the actual word for pride means to be lifted up. To be high and lifted up. That's why in some old texts you'll read that the sea was proud. And what it's saying is that the the seas were high, the waves were up high, and they were proud. Listen to what Isaiah 57 says about the Lord. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. When I walk in that humble place, when I let my pride fall, then I walk into the presence of the Lord because now I'm walking into the reality of the one that really is high and lifted up. Obadiah, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, so it's verse 3, says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cliffs of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You may say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagles and make your nest among the stars. 
From there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So what does this have to do with Acts chapter 16? Okay. Are you with me? Yes? I thank you. Thank you. Stay with me. Because Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, is talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's plan for my life. Have you ever asked this question, what is God's plan for my life? What does God have for me if I could only discover what God's plan is for my life? What book should I read? Where should I meditate? What counselor should I go to so that I can discover God's plan for my life? And many of us, and some of you here, have even spent countless hours in hot pursuit of discovering what God's plan is for your life. It's even created stress and sleepless nights and to wrestle with that question. And what I want to propose to you is this. This right here, what is God's plan for my life, or seeking to discover God's plan for our lives, is rooted in pride. What do I mean by that? When I read Scripture, when I study about the characters of Scripture, I never see the stress put on them trying to discover God's plan for their lives. I don't see these restless nights and these long hours of meditation trying to discover what God's plan is for their life. What I see is them running away from God's revelation of what His plan is for their lives. What I find is constantly throughout the Old Testament, God says, okay, this is my plan for your life. And, they're, and guys are going, wait, 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 wait. Plan B, maybe? No, like, are you serious? Moses, God, I... I am the wrong guy. I'm No, I'm not going. Even Jesus himself, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Why is that? Because the stress is not on us discovering God's plan for our lives. The stress is in the journey of walking into God's plan for our lives. Because let me tell you a couple things about God's plan for your life. Number one, you can't do it. Just write that down. You can't do it. But God can do it through Christ and His Holy Spirit that is within us. The second thing I want you to understand is that you walk into God's plan for your life, it's going to hurt. I'm not kidding. It, man, it's it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful for me to walk in because it's going to require something inside of me to die. And that part of me, part of what's going to be dying in me, is pride. And let me try to explain that. Because if you hang on to your pride today, if you choose that your pride is your chummy little buddy that you're going to keep with you, you know, then there's something you're going to forfeit this morning when it comes to living out God's plan for your life. The first thing is what we discover is something that's profound in this text. And it took me hours and hours of parsing every Greek verb within this text to understand this, and I drew it from the well of discernment. And that is, number one, the Holy Spirit speaks. That's profound, isn't it? 
What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Wow. Dang. We're happy with that handwriting. I got the fattest markers in the world. I'm not kidding you. Are those not fat markers? If you take, I am proud of my markers. That is awesome. You take my marker, I will hunt you down. What were you going to say, Doug? Bring it. All right, thank you. I can handle it. I'm. Let me stop here for a minute because this seems silly. Because we could go around this room. And we could even ask some of you that are not Christ followers, do you believe that God can speak? Well, you'd probably say, well, if there is a God, yeah, I believe that he can speak to us. But those of you that have been following Christ for a long time, I said, do you believe the Holy Spirit speaks? Well, of course he speaks. But we live our lives as if he doesn't speak, as if he doesn't guide us, as if he doesn't teach us, as if he doesn't bring revelation to us. We often treat church and God kind of like our dog. Have you ever gone to a dog park or you've seen people with their dog and, and they treat them like they're human? Some of you do that. And you ask your dog questions, you know, are you okay today? <laughs> you know, are just people that talk to their dog. Some of you do that, I know, all right? I would never do that with my dog. He's so cute. Uh, But we talk to him, but we know that our dog has no capacity to answer us back or to give us wisdom from the world of dogdom, you know? But sometimes we treat God that way. And we live our lives as if we don't expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And because of that, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, then it's a terrifying experience that we don't understand. And most of us, when we have that experience, we run to our friends and say, what's wrong with me? When the Holy Spirit begins to press in on our lives. It's kind of like, and I've said this before, you know, this was uh, on Nash, the cover of National uh, Inquiry a couple of years ago where it talks about this woman who went to the hospital and thought she was dying with stomach pains, but she was pregnant. And she didn't know she was pregnant. And can you imagine the terror of going into labor? And I say this as if I know. All right? I know. Some of you women are going, he has no idea what he's talking about. can't take that pride from us. Uh imagine going into labor and feeling that kind of pain and not knowing that you're pregnant. You would be terrified. And you would ask, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Hurry, fix me. I'm in pain. But if you know you're pregnant, there, I, I know it hurts. But in that pain, there is the experience of anticipation and there's the experience of hope and dreams and all the things that are wrapped up with this delivery that's about to happen. If I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is in me, if I don't believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and guiding me, then when He does speak, I'm going to experience it as pain in my life rather than the joy of the revelation that God is moving on my world. In 1 John chapter 4, listen to what it says here. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him. If Christ is your Savior, God lives in you. And He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this just for a minute. And here's what I'd like for you to do is, when you get there, just... 
keep your finger there because we're going to come back there in just a minute. But this is in verse 9. He says, you, however, hang on. This is Romans 9, or Romans 8. See, I was just checking to see if you guys were listening. Verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. That's a big if, all right? If the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. In other words, if you have Christ, if you have God, then the if is satisfied. You have the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, He anointed us. He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He is pouring His Spirit into our lives. He has anointed us. We did a series about a year ago, and what does that mean to be anointed? But for today's conversation, we can understand that anointing means that just like my house is covered in paint, I have been covered with the righteousness of Christ. I've been anointed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I have been painted with His presence in my life. Really? Is He speaking? He's put a seal of ownership on us. He's filled our hearts. He's promised a a deposit, a guarantee of what's to come. So how does he speak? Well, in this passage, he spoke by dream. So is that how we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks now? We don't have time to go through and explain all this from Scripture. But there are primarily four ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. The first way is he speaks through his word. That this now has become the means by which he communicates to us. Because we know that truth is not something that's discovered because I'm smart. It's something that's revealed by the Holy Spirit because I've been given the mind of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He also speaks through here. Like this preaching. That we understand through scriptures that for some crazy reason the Lord wants to speak through people like me. Who have been called to this position. He also speaks through our friends, through good counsel, through those that God has given wisdom to and we go to and say, lead us, and he leads us through that. And he also speaks to our heart. But here's the cool thing, and I want you to grasp this, is that we keep wanting through our pride to reverse the process. God speaks to my heart, therefore I filter everything in the word through what I already believe. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, that may be what the Bible says, but I just don't feel that could possibly be true. Right? We've reversed the process. It's just pride. It's saying, I am high and lifted up. And I am so high and lifted up that now I look down on the Word. I judge what part of the Word is true or not. I'm the one that says to God, yeah, you didn't mean that. Right? But when I reverse it back and I say in my humility, Lord, teach me by your Holy Spirit. So when when I go to the Word, I don't go to the Word anymore and say, you know, I don't read the Bible because I don't get anything out of it. I try, man. I just go to sleep when I read the Bible. I don't know what's up with that. All right? Well, I would do if I came to it thinking, what am I doing? I'm trying to be religious. 
Like, you know, okay, I'll get my Bible out. You know, some people do it. I'll meditate. I don't know. But what if you said, man, this right here is taken care of. I'm coming to spend time with God through the power of his Holy Spirit. Reveal yourself to me. You may not get past two words and go, oh, wow. But I promise you, the Lord reveals himself to us through his word, through this time and community, through our friends and good counselors, and even through our hearts. But if I don't put down my pride, number one, I don't listen. It's that simple. My pride says God doesn't speak. And if he does, it's only on my terms. But if I believe that God does speak, I put down my pride and I listen. I become a great listener. Okay, the second thing, and then I'm almost through, is that we have to put down our pride to endure when we listen and God is silent. Let me try to explain that. Paul and his companions were in Phrygia, and they traveled from there to Mycenae. Now, they couldn't preach in Asia. Why? We don't know. They didn't know. They went all the way 300 miles through the desert. All right, to try to get to go up to Bithany to preach. They get to the border. Holy Spirit says, uh-uh. Can you imagine what must be going through their hearts and minds? We just traveled 300 miles in the desert to be faithful to you, and we get to the border, and you go, uh-uh, and you're not giving us any explanation? Have you ever been there? Where God just seems silent. Well... Can I get some help? Can somebody come up and turn this board around so we can use the other side? Come on, Dave. All right. Rob, come on, man. Hey, muscles. Yeah, let's see how you guys do it. Just turn it around without dropping it on the ground. That was a wrap. Nobody got that but me. That's good. You guys, y'all aren't skilled at this, are you? Wow. All right. Thank you. Awesome. What do you think? I got a fat red pen too. Pride, when I put it down and God is silent, it explodes joy in my life. And you're saying, what? You gotta be kidding me. I, when God is silent, I'm cringing. I'm like, God, where are you? Why aren't you speaking to me? There is joy in my life. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. If you were faithful and stayed there and I didn't, then um, go over to verse 34 and listen to what the gospel has to say to us in this. Verse 34, who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see what Christ is doing right now? Christ has risen to newness of life so that we can live a new life toward God through the righteousness of Christ. No merit of our own. We have no pride in that. We are humbled by the fact that we've been given the gift of righteousness from our Savior because we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. And he's now interceding for us. So God is silent, but while God is silent, what is Christ doing? A couple of you got it. Interceding. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the heights nor the depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is where? It's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when I go to God and He is silent, it demands my heart to answer this question. What's that? Are you loved? Are we loved? Do you believe that? Are you cherished? Really? I mean, seriously, do you believe that? That Christ is interceding for you? That He cares that much for you? That God calls Himself your Father? And here's a a great question when God is silent. Is God good? Is he a good father? And this is just the bombshell. Is he faithful to his promises? Yes or no, people? Is he faithful? And doesn't when God is silent, doesn't it rise up in me all the doubts that I don't believe that? Doesn't it? And isn't it joyful that we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, even my doubts in His love for me. I am still loved. And why is this important? Why is that battleground? Because at the root of all my worries, at the root of all my stress, at the root of all my struggle, at the root of all my desires for things that I think are going to make my life significant, is this pride that says that I'm not sure I'm loved, I'm not sure that God is good, I'm not sure that Christ is interceding for me, I'm not sure that I'm in the family, I'm not sure that He's working all things out for the good. So when I do battle with those things, I learn to put down those worries. I learned to put down those stresses. I learned to do something that, guys, this right here is beautiful. I learned to rest in the fact that God says, I love you and you don't need to know. (laughs) Really? I'm telling you that if you're pleading with God to give you revelation about something in your life and He is silent, you know what He's saying? Relax. You don't need to know yet. Be free in not knowing. Some of you, you're dating somebody. And man, it's define the relationship time, you know? What is that? DL, DTR, there you go. That's worth putting up here, isn't it? All right, DTR. Woo, all right. Do you know how much stress that puts on a relationship? Oh, wait. You do know how much stress that puts on the relationship, don't you? you imagine what would be like for you to rest and saying it is what it is and we don't know where God is leading us? That's okay. Imagine the joy of your date tonight by saying we don't have to put the pressure on this date tonight of knowing where this relationship is going. Are we going to get married? Well, if God revealed that to you this afternoon, think how that would change this evening. It would wreck it. Where are we going to get married? Where are you going to give me a ring? You know, what... 
Where are we going to go on our honeymoon? I would just wreck the freedom of just enjoying a nice night out, wouldn't it? Imagine the freedom, and I know that's funny, but imagine the freedom of not knowing you're in college now and you don't know what your degree is going to be. You don't know what you're going to do with your life. That's okay. I'm 48. I don't know what I want to do with my life. No, I'm joking. This is what I do with my life. And here is where it was birthed out of. It was birthed out of a place where God said, shut your mouth and listen. And when I'm silent, rest and do battle with your own heart to believe that the gospel is true. I love you because of what Christ did on the cross for you. Not because of anything you did or anything you're going to do. Period. I set you free from the consequences of your sin in heaven. It has no more hold on you. Not because of anything you did or anything you're going to do or anything you didn't do or you're going to do. Because of what Christ did for us. The gospel is true. We have the Spirit. We have the Father. And He is faithful. So we, t- we put down our pride, which masks itself in fear. It masks itself in shame. It masks itself in a bunch of questions and worry. It masks itself in control and in anger. It masks itself in busyness. Because we can't be silent long enough to be humbled to listen to the one that is high and lifted up. But when we pause and we listen, and he still doesn't answer the questions, then we rest because his Holy Spirit whispers in our ears, he is rejoicing over you. Isn't that beautiful? Yesterday, we took um, our middle son to college. Trent, he's not here this morning. I know, it's very sad, but I get the TV to myself now. <laughs> it's not true, he never watched TV. Um, we're driving up, and I said to him, I said, what's hard about this as a father is that there's so much that I want to give you that I'm not sure I ever did. And... He's texting, you know, and he's talking to his friends. Yeah, yeah, Dad, right, all right. I'm tearing up. Can't you see me? It's just like me and the Lord, isn't it? But the Lord doesn't share that kind of love out of regret. The Lord shares that out of, Randy, if you could just taste the riches that I have for you. And you know what? I'm not going to answer some of your questions because I don't want to tell you what to do yet. Because I just want you to hear that I love you. So when we dropped off Trent, you know, I'm so many things. Do good in school. Make good grades, you know. You know, it's liquor before beer. No, it's no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I did not do that, all right? Parents are like, good Lord. The Lord is good. I'm not. And so, I'm sorry. But all those things just fell to the ground. And all that was left was hugs and kisses. And just don't ever forget that we love you and that our home is always your home. Never forget home. Never, never forget home. And that's what the Father does to us when we put down our pride. And he says, this story's not about you. I'm telling my story. Rest. Be still. Be silent. 
Know that I am God and I'll speak. Can we journey in that together this year? That's going to be tough, isn't it? But let, let's go together. All right, community? So uh, let me close this in prayer. And um, let's sing a few more songs. But as we're singing these songs, here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to pray this. Um, what did the Holy Spirit have for you today? What did the Lord have for you today? What are you taking out of here? If you got a pen, write it down on a piece of paper. For some of you, that this is the beginning. This is just the beginning time for you. You need to write something declarative that God has given you at the top of that paper this year. I don't know. But uh, use this time, this time of prayer and this time of music and our closing to, uh, to draw onto that, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we just tell you that we are children that are so busy with life, it's hard to remember how to listen. But we listen now and we ask you to speak. Lord, we tell you as children, it's hard sometimes we get so afraid when you seem silent. But in those profound moments, you declare your profound love for us. You invite us to dance with you. Give us courage to do it. So Lord, I pray for my friends here. Pray for me. That Holy Spirit, you'd speak now through these songs and into our hearts. And help us not lose what you have for us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.